0: The vast majority of, of our work, funnily enough, is less in actually, you know, finding buyers and selling businesses. It's more in preparing business owners for the best possible exit. You know, most of the time when people come to have a conversation with us about what their business is worth and you know, what we can get, so forth.
1: All right, welcome to the Productize My Service podcast. Today's guest is David Newell of Quiet Light. Brokerage, um, an online brokerage company helping sell online digital assets and businesses. Um, So I had a really fun time talking with David, um, and this was actually um, originally uh, meant to be exclusive for the Design to Exit course, uh, but we've decided to take a few of the interviews that we've done um, for the course and make them public. Um, I thought this was a really valuable and insightful interview. Um, because David and I touched on a lot of the things that we cover in the course, um, but you know, as far as what makes a service business sellable from David's perspective and what you can actually do to increase and be proactive to create um, a much more valuable um, service business. So let's dive in, break down, and learn about David and his take on how to build a valuable productized service business.
0: Thank you so much for
1: having me on. Yeah, man, I was excited to talk with you um, and um, share a little bit of insight on what productized service business owners, service business owners in general, um, should be thinking about planning for and actively working on um, to make their business more valuable um, at the end of the day. Um, I know there's a lot of places to kind of start, but maybe we could start with just a little bit of your background. Um, I know you work with light, but um yeah, what did it look like leading up to that? And um start there.
0: For sure, yeah. Well I'll give a bit of background on Quiet Light. Um we're probably one of the largest business brokerages. Um and we primarily sell uh e-commerce, SaaS, content, and service-based businesses in the kind of half a million up to twenty million dollar range. We sell about a hundred businesses a year or so. Um and the vast majority of our work, funnily enough, is less in actually you know, finding buyers and selling businesses. It's more in preparing business owners for the best possible exit. You know, most of the time when people come to have a conversation with us about what their business is worth and you know, what we can get and so forth, our feedback is, well, it's worth this now, but it'll be worth X in six or 12 months time if you do what we tell you to. So, um, yeah, we spend a lot of time kind of exit planning and working with uh, business owners. And my uh, path has always kind of been in this sort of mergers and acquisitions company space. I started as an investment banker in London uh, at Citigroup in like one of the big banks doing really big deals. And then um, got fairly tired of that, as lots of people in investment banking do. And then a a couple of us uh, spun out of it and there's another brokerage firm called FE International, which I then went to go and head up as the head of brokerage and operations there for three or four years. So with with two guys, one of which was from City as well, and Tom, the, the other founder, um, came from elsewhere. But we all went to the same university, actually. And so I spent a few years there building up their business. They mostly do SaaS. And... Um, then left that, started doing um, some of my own projects outside of um, brokerage and then joined Quiet Light a couple of years ago now. So now most of my focus is in the kind of e-commerce arena, um, but we also you know, touch upon all these other different business models. And the principles around all of these different business models and how to get the best possible multiple and deals are like very, very, very consistent um, as we'll get into, no doubt, in, in this conversation.
1: Awesome. No, I appreciate that. Yeah, and I didn't know that you had also worked for, for FE um, International, who, who I'm familiar with as well. Um, and I don't know if you knew actually. Um I know, Brian introduced us originally, but he was the broker for our deal that we ended up selling. Um, oh, cool. Last yeah. year, and of, course, of um, course. Brian is one of the original founders of FE, as you probably know. Oh yeah, yeah. So it's uh, well. Yeah yeah. yeah, yeah. So um, and our business we sold was a product I service um, as well. And, and I think that was kind of my main goal and to touch on some of these things, um, I think it's going to be really valuable. Um, and I know your experience and you do a lot of SaaS deals, um, if I'm correct. Um, including, I think if, you know, I think it was one of the recent deals with elite lead pages. Is that right?
0: that's right yeah i sold drip to lead pages it was a few years ago now um, for rob walling who's obviously a very well-known software um, entrepreneur runs microconf and so forth um yeah that was a great great deal large deal one of those that hits the news uh, headlines and uh made everyone very happy very very wealthy (laughs) um but uh yeah i mean i've sold SaaS apps from everywhere from kind of like a hundred thousand right up to multi multi millions of dollars and uh it's uh it's very similar um process just um different levels of
1: sophistication i should say in each one yeah no definitely and i think one of the reasons i was excited to jam with you a little bit was i knew your focus was more SaaS. and one of the things that i try to do um, with people in like kind of my private community as well people i consult with from like you know, trying to productize their service is to take a lot of learnings and like look at yourself as a SaaS company. Hundred percent. When it comes yeah. to like metrics, recurring revenue, lifetime value. Um, so, um, I know that I'd love to hear your thoughts. And like, those are some of the things that transfer over well to like improving evaluation. Let's say for a for a service business.
0: For sure, I mean, if you look at all of the different valuation so if you look at all the different business models e commerce content, affiliate service product I service saAS, the most valuable business model by far is saAS, and the reason for that is it has recurring revenue and an intellectual property as the competitive moat and so if we look at the first point recurring revenue like that's so valuable to buyers because it's predictable right and the degree to predictability comes in how low your churn is what your growth rate is like LTV, ARPU all of these kind of classical SaaS metrics and so the degree to which you can migrate any business model over to subscription and improve those subscription metrics. Even if it's e-commerce, and you move to like a subscription box e-commerce business, you will uh, invariably increase the multiple for your business. And so, with service-based businesses, you know there's two really, really, really important things to focus upon, and they hit at the heart of. Not just the valuation, but also what we call the salability of the business, and they're two slightly different things. Valuation is how valuable your business is. Salability is how sellable it is, and they're two very different. Yeah. I can have a very, very valuable business, but it's unsellable because I work on it 100 hours a week, and I'm the only person that knows everything about how to run it. No one's ever going to buy that business from me, even if it's worth you know 100 million dollars or whatever. So the two really big things to focus upon for everyone listening that has a service-based business that's either kind of thinking about going to productize already there and thinking about how to make it more recurring if it's one time is the gradual migration to your point to getting it to like fully recurring revenue and fully um, subscription-based and in a way In many ways, you're almost better to break up your value offering actually to like a smaller increment of monthly revenue than and get it and get it recurring monthly than you are charging like 800 bucks or whatever every six months. Because in the eyes of a buyer, a a customer is more likely to churn on a kind of six monthly basis for getting billed at 800 than if they are, you know, paying $99 a month, for example. It's an interesting thing to play with because obviously everybody has different um, value propositions with their services and they have competitive environments and so forth. the most successful people I've seen that have agencies that have productized services are people that have got, you know, they've figured out what's the right amount of monthly revenue. And it could be like $3.99 or whatever if you do like really great SEO or, or, or whatever. Um, but if you're, yeah. managing to, if you're managing to retain people and keep churn down, then what you're doing is hitting that holy grail of predictable revenue. If you can say consistently, a customer joins us, they stick with us for, say, 16 months, their lifetime value is like $4,000 or whatever, then that level of reliability that you communicate to buyers is worth, like, gold dust. And we're talking about, like, you know, significant factors of multiple increase here. Like, a traditional service-based business might only get, like, 2 to 2.5x two um, on EBIT, whereas, like, a SaaS business can very easily get 4, 4.5 to 5. So very significant uplift. The second most important point, and this is generally the harder one to do, is that um, it's very, very important to my example about you know, being the sole person within my business or the person that knows everything, is to depersonalize yep. your, your product as much as humanly possible. Now, my sense over the years has been like, this is kind of a gradual process because a lot of people build service-based businesses and even product-based services based businesses around their personal brand because they've yep. stepped they've stepped up as an influencer in their space they have specific knowledge maybe they've carved out from like you know a larger agency or whatever they're going out on their own and so there's this kind of necessary personal branding to build your business but then of course you're the public face of it so if i'm buying your business you know i can't buy you know, your face and uh, and keep hoping that it's going to uh, continue as well when you're not there anymore. And so the, again, the most successful people, and this is the one that touches upon saleability, are the business owners in the service space that successfully pull themselves out of their own product. Initially, that's in the actual delivery, of course, whatever form that looks like. Um, and most of the time that's the easier one to do but towards the end it also means pulling yourself out of like the marketing and onboarding of all clients which seems to be like the last nexus for a lot of business owners um like yeah. there's still there's still the people doing the live webinars there's still the people like getting the heavy hitting clients coming in and um, it's the bit that like is most difficult to let go of kind of psychologically because it is the engine of growth for your business but yeah. If you nail that, and everything can be done over time. You know, this isn't like what I'm saying here isn't something that you just click your fingers and do. It's you know, it requires training, sales staff, having SOPs, and so forth. But the funny thing is, is doing the work that's involved to get yourself out of the business, both in terms of the implementation of the product and the marketing of it, is actually all the work you need to do to hand the business off to somebody else anyway. Because even if you came and you were still doing the webinars and whatever it is, and I said, okay, well, when you leave, uh, assuming the buyer actually wants to acquire the business, you're going to have to train them in how to do it. So in reality, I'm just saying do the work now because you'll then get yourself out of the business and you'll get paid much more for it. Whereas if you wait and try and do it after sale, you will be penalized in the multiple.
1: Yeah. And I think the multiple is one part. And then I think another aspect that you kind of alluded to is like the earn out, right. Um, You know, having to stay in the business. And I think a lot of service businesses or people who are thinking about selling, don't really think about that. Um, And really one of the last things you want, at least from my perspective is to have a buyer agree. And then you have to stay on for six months to a year then that's Um, the biggest
0: thing that happens i mean and to give you i think it's useful to talk about numbers here because at the end of the day you know dollars are what matters um yeah know i gave you a sense of the kind of valuation differential but if we look at kind of offer structure let's imagine if your business is well set up with you hardly in it anymore you know you've got sales team in place maybe have like a COO or something but you're ostensibly out of it to the point where mainly the stuff that you're doing is kind of like business development or strategy you know the stuff that sort of makes sense for a ceo type person to be doing um you can expect at the point of exit to be yielding to getting like 70 to 80 percent of the business sale value in cash up front um and then the rest might be like a seller note or like a small hold back based on like reps and warranties if you don't and you're like still in the bit you're still doing you know a vital part of the sales process or whatever you're looking at like 50 up front maybe lower and then the balance based on earnout. To your point, based on like revenue base. Pretty type.
1: substantial. It's <laughs>
0: substantial, and it's substantial, and it's emotionally a very different sale, right? If I sell my business and I know I'm out within 30 days of the training window, that's great. I'm already thinking about what I'm spending the money on. You know, what new venture yeah. I'm going to go do? That's exciting. If I sell my business and be like, "Well, I got to work for someone else for 12 months, and I have to hit these targets, otherwise, I've got like." you know, $500,000 on the line, for example. It's a very different, you know, mindset yeah, yeah. around the sale. So that's what we try and do, basically. You know, I think we spend a lot of time troubleshooting that for, for, for business owners. And of course, it's a very unique problem to solve in every business, right? Because, you know, people listening could be offering their services in a wide variety of niches, in a variety of different customer segments. And, you know, their personal role in its development so far could have been very substantial and likely is so these things take time but it is absolutely worth doing um and i often say to people it actually makes your life better <laughs> like at the end of the day
1: 100 percent. yeah yeah
0: you not only get the better you know a lot of people are like oh i've got so much more work to do after they speak to you but it's like well you know, imagine a year from now when you're working like less than half the amount of time you're doing now and on stuff you want yeah. to be doing and your business is worth twice as much. There you go.
1: So Nice, I love that. And how often, I mean, with service businesses specifically or in general, is that like a concern when they come to sell their business? Like how often do you see that? Almost um, all where the time. They're...
0: Yeah, it's like yeah. 80, 90% of the time. Yeah, very, very, wow. very few Yeah, very few people are ahead of the curve on that one yeah
1: so is it more of a fact where you're telling them like hey this is what we need to do now to prevent like earnouts and remove yourself more from the business and come back to us and we'll sell it i mean yeah people like go down people
0: go down yeah people go down two routes it's a very like yin yang uh response to that kind of feedback oh, well, and, and that's fine like a small set of people will go and do that a larger set of people will attempt to go and find a buyer of best fit, usually a strategic, like in their own space Mm. and attempt to sell basically their client book directly to another agency. And some people have success with that for sure. I don't know what kind of office structures they end up with, but they'll definitely not suffer as much as, um, you know like an open market sale i would imagine but a lot of people don't have success with that and they either just wind they wind down the businesses to just run them run them off for profit basically and just try and get get the cash flow and then move on um so yeah it's a funny one it's uh it's the nature of the beast i think with service businesses
1: yeah no 100 percent. um what what should service businesses kind of be thinking about? Um, you mentioned a few things, but I guess in that leading up to calling someone like you to list their business for sale, um, like what are those big, the biggest rocks they should be working on knocking out? Um, assuming maybe it's one, one of those things.
0: Yeah. So super simple stuff really, which tends to be, I noticed that like a lot of service businesses, uh, you touched upon this in the very start of the pod, which is. um, they suffer a lot from like lack of clarity in the financials and specifically in kind of operational metrics, you know, uh, time and time again, I might, you know, in the first call when I'm trying to understand the business, I'll say, well, you know, how much is the average client worth? Um, what's their lifetime value? Like how many people are doing this? And, um, most of the time, even business owners, you know, doing like three or 4 million a year, we'll we'll scratch around with like a google sheet that's like being updated you know once every three months by a bookkeeper or something and it's uh you need like you need to have good metrics to come to market with um you know if you want to sell you know i often think you know it's difficult, I know, because you know, having my own business as well, you can tend to get myopic within your own business, focusing on solving business problems and stuff. You don't actually think too much about, well, if I, if someone else is buying my business, what would they want? But the best way yeah. to ask yourself is, everything that a buyer would want is what you would want if you were buying somebody else's business. Like immediately, you know, it's just common sense, and so. I'll often say, you know, to people, well, what like you would you would want to see these numbers, these kind of customer numbers, these metrics, right? Because you know, you're in this all the time. You know, you know what you're optimizing for, but you're not thinking about it from the outside view. So getting proactive on getting that kind of metric and dashboard in place. And you know, if depending on how you bill and who you use merchant processor-wise, if it's kind of more sassafied and you have it set up with Stripe and plans like that, then you know, there's a whole load of tools that plug in over the top of that that are free, like ProfitWell and ChatMogul and, you know, Beer and and all that good stuff. And they're amazing. Now, they'll do, like, virtually all the work for you. Um, and if you don't have that, then figuring out some kind of, like, dashboard. And, and I would say, in general, that's really sound advice for your personal management of the business. And also, if you yeah. never come to market, and even if you do find you know, the great strategic buyer that you decide to work with instead or someone that approaches you, having those numbers will be the jumping point to get yourself a better valuation. Like without fail, you know, the better quality business metrics and intelligence you have, the better sale process and valuation you're going to get. Like completely positive correlation there. Um, You know, lack of transparency or opacity really does hurt multiple and kill kill sales so i think that's it sounds like a really boring one but i want to i want to ground out it that's based important. upon um you know you asked a really good question which is like how many people turn up you know and want to do this or want to do that or how are in these six these are like the, these are the time-worn things that come up which is like surprisingly be people with surprisingly successful agencies have like very poor internal management in terms of reporting and stuff so that one's fairly important. I think it's really nice if you already set yourself up as a like LLC or S Corp and, and you're running your business, try to run your business within um, its own company. So don't mix other business assets in within it and try to yeah. not bury your business with personal expenses. Um, the reason being is... If you get two years of clean tax returns that don't have tons and tons of, you know, markdowns, personal expenses, you can get your business qualified for an SBA loan uh, for a buyer Mm. and that will bring in a substantial amount of additional demand for the sale. A large number of people running service-based businesses often run a significant amount of personal expense through them um, to reduce their profits down as much as possible. When you go to market, you can add back those for the valuation, but you can't add them back in the tax returns for the SBA. So mm. you lose that SBA eligibility. And you know, that's again, is a big amount, like it's a lot of buyers, particularly if you're selling at seven figures and up, um, a lot of buyers like to use SBA loans and will like conventionally add at least 10% to the valuation if we have got SBA eligibility. So clean books, clean tax returns, clean metrics, very very important um to uh to get that right um other than that you know i think if you've done a good job of migrating yourself out the business the chances are you probably have good documentation and operating procedures in place because you've trained up staff and stuff so that's really advantageous for sale so yeah you know i think there's i could say a bunch of stuff that would help improve a business but a lot of it's stuff that you can't help for example you know a lot of times i notice service-based businesses can end up with one client that's a very significant portion of their overall business and yeah. you know there's this classic do or die issue where like they've become your elephant they've really helped you grow but now they've become a sore point because they're worth 50 percent of your business and that's not great from a buyer standpoint but It's also like, what can you actually do about that situation? Not much other than try and outgrow them and and dilute them down as a percentage of total. So that would be a classic example of something that would impair the valuation of a service-based business, but also something that you can't really do a huge amount about unless you just dilute them down over time.
1: No, it makes sense. Um, I was curious, like, what is from your perspective right now, like if we look at the market in general, when it comes to like looking and valuing service businesses or productized services, like what does that look like right now um, in the scheme of things when we look at from an overview when we look at SaaS, e-com um, yeah. FBA, you know, all these different things.
0: That's a good question. Um, well, e-commerce is massively in vogue right now. That's seeing a whole structural increase in multiples. It used to be the case where you would say like, you know your average saAS business might go at four times your average ecom might go at three times content would be somewhere between three and four depending on the size yep. um, and you know e commerce is seeing a marked structural increase upwards but largely because hmm. largely because of what 's happened with coronavirus and just a big shift in purchasing behavioral patterns towards e commerce because of that plus Amazon is just starting you know it 's really really growing so there's a lot of money pouring into the FBA space where I would say like FBA businesses are now kind of commanding, you know, 3.3, 3.5 easily. Um, productized services. It, it's a wide, it's a wide range based upon two things. The point you raise, which is how satisfied is the business and how good are the yep. metrics on it? The more Sass, the more Sass like it is, the more it's going to start pushing up towards four the less i would say it goes right the way down to like 2.5 and then the the next point is how how much is the owner depersonalized and out of the business and again that kind of moves you around so yeah you can i'd probably say to couch it i'd say probably like two point maybe like 2.3 2.4 at the bottom but it can go right up to four at the top and we're talking about as a multiple of what we call in the business, seller discretionary earnings, which is really your earnings plus your owner comp back. Um, And yeah, I mean, I think it's, it varies obviously by vertical and by customer segment, you know, some customer segments and verticals are more valuable than others. I would say like if you're facing e-commerce right now in some way, shape or form, you're probably gonna start benefiting from that structural uplift. in any way shape or form
1: um and so yeah no makes makes a ton of sense um and it's typically you base that multiple off sde up to a certain point um like what is kind of the thresholds of some of these valuation metrics like is it up to like 1 1. 1.5 or we tend to stick with sde
0: to probably like two million two and a half million and then we might flip to ebitda from that point onwards but at that point in reality there's hardly any difference between the two yeah so they, kind of, they kind of start to cancel out at that level
1: okay no it makes sense um do you see a lot of larger um when we look at productized services in general more of kind of a term business model wise i mean Do you see a lot more of those types of businesses coming up being sold that are very specialized, systematized kind of businesses compared to, let's say, more of a general agency? Um, How do you look at those and, like, I guess from that Uh, side of things?
0: Yeah, you don't see them. You don't see many of them come up. I think, like, um, I think, in honesty, most people – go the route of trying to exit with to a strategic and as cl- as m- closer to an agency model I would say like it's actually a rarer it's a rarer thing to see like a truly kind of um, unique uh, depersonalized and sasified um, productized business but when they do come up they're very 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 highly sought after so um, but yeah I understand you know I think it's it's a good bit of work growing a service-based business and i think like if the money is there to like take be get get taken out by a competitor or whatever just for your client book then yeah i think um that's that's a very appealing option for a lot of people
1: yeah i think that's interesting because i think for us that was definitely our case So i think when we listed with you guys you know we were I think really one of the only product I service like listings and that business actually the inquiries and then from the time we listed the selling was like incredibly fast yeah like definitely wasn't the norm I think you know compared to what most people see so I think that yeah. was it was an interesting So you've kind of you,
0: you've you've seen the benefit of what it's like when you're tuned up that way so yeah, yeah. but Yeah, it's, uh, I mean, that's a great thing to have as well. Like a smooth, quick sale process is a
1: very positive surprise to have. So, yeah, I'm glad, I'm glad that we got that. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, that was definitely nice. Um, Maybe spoiled us, you know. um, (laughs) Yeah. We'll see if future exits are are that smooth. Indeed. Um, What kind of resources, if you have any, I know you guys mentioned you guys do a lot of exit planning which was i think probably more than it sounded exp- like you expected to do um which is prepping people do you guys have resources like where should people go yeah um, i for your just, service business like that
0: well i just about a month ago i wrote a very large guide um i'll give you the link after this on um, it's on okay. sass but the principles are really 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 like identical for um product based businesses and actually it makes very little reference to you know ip and kind of technical stuff it mostly focuses upon a lot of the points we've spoken about plus also what i tried to call kind of value centric growth so it's very specific growth methods that you can do that will not only grow the value of your business naturally but also increase the multiple as well so it's like leverage leverage growth for your business and All of the ones I came up with for SaaS are like identical to what you should do for productized services, and so and there's a whole bunch of stuff on there in terms of like exit planning and like useful tools for um, mapping out the business stuff about SBA eligibility. So loads of good stuff. So yeah, it's uh, it's a long piece. Uh, Probably need a strong coffee that you can dip into it in bits (laughs) and pieces. But it's like it's it's got everything you'd ever need to know, basically.
1: Okay. Yeah. I'll I'll reference that and link it in the link in the show notes as well. And you mentioned you were running a business right now. I was curious, what what is that that you're running?
0: So Um, mine's, it's very, very different from uh, my normal day to day. So mine's in the, uh, I guess like digital product or e-learning space. So I'm, I'm very passionate about self-discovery and uh, helping people kind of figure out their true purpose. And, um, so I've gone very deep into kind of yoga and meditation and spirituality and mystical stuff. And so it's kind of like a, it's a whole school of learning that's very based in um, archetypes and like Jungian psycho- psychological theory. So, yeah, it's great. It's really cool. It's, it's funny bouncing between the brokerage awesome. world and doing yeah, spiritual stuff.
1: Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's really awesome, man. Well, dude, I I really appreciate it. Um, Maybe next time we'll have to jam more on your your other business. Um, But I really appreciate sharing some of this insight and knowledge. Um, I think so valuable and a lot of service businesses don't think about this stuff or they think when they start doing it, it's it's too late. Um, So that's kind of the mission I'm on is helping people who are trying to productize, but then also thinking about these kind of exit steps Um, and exit planning to to get the most out of their business. So um, really appreciate sharing um, all this good stuff, man. My pleasure. Thanks, man. All right. Talk soon. All right. Thanks so much for listening to today's episode. If you found the content valuable, here are two ways that I can help you actually completely free to grow and scale your service business. Number one, uh, just head over to Productized dot services um, and you'll be able to subscribe to our free weekly strategy newsletter and number two uh, get my productized playbook over at productized playbook.com and this playbook is actually directly pulled from our recent design to exit course one of the five playbooks and we're giving away that for free um, where you get access to kind of see a full breakdown of Essentially, yeah, how we think about productizing services, etc. So definitely head over to productizedplaybook.com.